0: on this episode of The Committed.
1: When you play an instrument and you try to perform at a high level, you put everything you have into it. And that, that was the course of my life. It's what I wanted to do. That was my dreams, my goals, my ambitions. So to consider something different required a change of perspective.
0: You very quickly have to find a purpose beyond just me and what I can do.
1: Once you look at yourself as the person that you are, the attributes that I wanted to instill in myself and cultivate in myself, I could apply to whatever I chose.
0: If you could do things differently with a fresh set of chops, what would you do differently?
1: My, my stage is just a small microcosm of this grand stage that God has planned. And all I have to do is plow my row and do my part. And as long as I'm doing that, I'm happy.
0: Welcome to The Committed with James Newcomb. My name is James Newcomb and I am your host. And I am very excited to bring this episode for you today. It is with a very motivated and extremely, I don't know how to describe her, except for she is one of the most determined people I've ever known in my life. Her name is Beth Perutka. I met Beth 12 years ago on Facebook, and we actually didn't even meet or speak in person uh, until about three or four months ago, in December of 2020, when I interviewed her for a podcast that I was doing at the time called Trumpet Dynamics. Beth's interview was just so captivating. It was so motivating and inspiring that I thought, it is perfect for this show, The Committed, because it is the story of someone who is committed. She was on track to be a first-rate trumpet player, which is why I had her on the Trumpet podcast, uh, but she had an injury. This injury derailed her career, I mean, completely. She was unable to, to play trumpet at all because of this injury. She, I think she was almost finished with her doctorate in Trumpet Performance Studies and when this injury occurred, and she had, she literally had to put everything away. And now she's a successful personal trainer in the Denton, Texas area. I don't know what else to say other than that. You just have to hear this story because it is so inspiring. It's really, really moving. And we even get to hear her play the trumpet alongside her husband, Eric, who is a fine trombonist and also a very gifted vocalist. And let me tell you, as someone who played trumpet for... 30-something years, I can tell you that what you're going to hear Beth doing is extraordinarily, she is extraordinarily talented uh, to be able to play at that level. I mean, just just very, very dedicated and very committed to her craft. And, and although she was forced to step away from that, she took that same determination and that same grit and that same commitment to her uh, current profession as a personal trainer, which she, she's doing very, very well at. I wanted to give this introduction because you are going to hear us talk about, kind of geek out a little bit on trumpet stuff. So if you're not a trumpet player, don't worry. We're not going to dwell on it too long, but that's just a little bit of background as to what you're about to hear. So enjoy it. Beth, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, James. Thank you so much for your kind words. It's an honor and pleasure to be here with you.
0: Well, I am thrilled to have you on the show because we, uh, I think we, you and I were like following each other for, I mean, I guess kind of associates on Facebook. Yes. You're not really friends until Mark Zuckerberg says you're friends, right? So (laughs) we're we're, we're like kind of sort of staying in touch a little bit, just kind, kind of just commenting, liking here and there. But you and I didn't actually speak in person until about a week ago. And this is That's after right. 12 years of being, quote, friends on Facebook. And so here we are. So, a yeah, long I just, time coming. Yeah. So I just want to, I, I, I always ask every guest of the show, like, what got you interested in trumpet in the first place?
1: You know, I, I kind of had a a late start in trumpet compared to most people, I think. I actually didn't start playing until right before my freshman year of high school. Okay. And actually, I was, I was homeschooled for that year, mm-hmm. and it was actually part of my my parents' music curriculum, they said, okay, you got to pick up an instrument, pick up an instrument to play. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be honest. I picked, I just, I chose trumpet because it looked easy. <laughs> it had three <laughs> valves, three buttons it looked easy. And it came to realize real fast. It was not that way. Yes. But I really enjoyed it. I, uh, I picked it up pretty quickly and had my first band experience as a uh, sophomore in high school. Wow. Yeah. it was My first time sitting in band. And actually I remember very vividly the music being passed out on the stand, I think it was, um, pep band music for the first time. And I remember looking at it and thinking to myself, well, assuredly the band director is going to play a recording of how this goes, because there's absolutely <laughs> no way that you can expect me to play this based upon what you passed out. Cause I didn't know how to read music.
0: Oh, wow.
1: Yeah. And you know, I learned real fast that that's not, that's not how it worked, <laughs> but I think, you know, growing up, my dad played, um, uh, guitar. Mm-hmm. And he was, you know, he do- doesn't have any formal music education, but he played really well by ear. And I think just growing up with that, being around that all the time, he played all the time, every day, every night. I think I developed a really good ear, musical right. ear. Yes. And I was able to to pick up things really quickly. And I really enjoyed it. I, so by my junior year, I made Allstate, was the first student from my high school to do so. By my senior year, I made all state jazz. So I, you know, I picked it up really quickly. Wow. Yeah. And... Decided, you know, a, a lot of the people that I was around, you know, being in the kind of the Washington, D, Washington D.C. area, Annapolis, mm, mm-hmm. were a military band. Yes, and a lot of those folks had graduated from the University of North Texas. Okay, so that that was like that became my my dream school, and so I, I applied there and, and went down there. Had a great four years studying with uh, Professor John Holt. Then went on for my my masters at mm-hmm. uh, Baylor University with with Rudd, and then took a took a short time off where I just I. Uh, taught in the public school system, gigged, uh, played a little bit with the Dallas Opera, and then went back for my doctorate at the University of North Texas again with John Holt as a teaching fellow. And um, that was where I had my, my injury in my first year. So I have my, my residency done at for my doctorate at University of North Texas, but um, the injury kind of stirred me in a different direction.
0: What, what was it like to be a freshman, like ninth grade, you pick up the trumpet, you had to have some pretty intensive getting your chops in shape so that you could play at the level that required of the tenth graders who've been playing probably four or five years already.
1: yeah, you know, i I think I just played a lot uh, looking back on it i took I took private lessons. um Greg Reese was my my private trumpet instructor. He was former mes- uh, member of the jazz ambassadors. You know, I just I just really enjoyed it. I was that kind of kid who you know, would go to the movies and kind of get, get lost in the soundtrack and lose track of the plot of the of the movie because I was <laughs> listening to the music. Um, I, so I just, I always enjoyed it. I was always, you know, getting yelled at by my brothers because I was playing, you know, making too much noise, but I just, I played a lot. So I think by the time I, I got the sophomore more level in band, I was already above everybody else just because I, had, I played so much and played by ear.
0: You just had a, a work ethic of, I like this and I'm just going to do it.
1: I guess so. You know, when you, when you like something like that, you just, you just do it. It doesn't feel like work.
0: When you're making plans to go to college at North Texas, Baylor, and uh, again, North Texas for your doctorate, what role is music in your life at this point? Is this something that was just, I'm Beth and I'm a trumpet player. I'm, I'm just curious as to what you saw music being uh, as far as your contributions to the world, if that makes any sense.
1: I think I kind of evolved and matured over time. With Mm -hmm. that, I think I definitely made. I'm not going to say it's the mistake because I, I feel like everybody kind of has to go through it, where you kind of identify yourself with your instrument, Mm -hmm. um, identify yourself very strongly with what you do. Right. I feel like that's when you when you're really passionate about something, when you really care. If you're honest with yourself, you you kind of do that. Mm -hmm. Yes. (laughs) But I think that as I matured and kind of grew up through it, I started to kind of separate myself more. Like instead of instead of becoming like uh a beth is a is a trumpet player i was beth is a person who plays trumpet <laughs> so to speak yeah. so i was i was a person first with all the values like the the dedication and the consistency and the hard work ethic and the the honesty integrity that i tried to instill in myself that was part of my person and you know i could apply that to whatever i wanted to apply it to it could be trumpet it could be um, medicine it could be being a personal trainer so I think that that was a, a progression for me over time, just to kind of separate myself a little bit from from the instrument and the art itself, and realize that I was the person who had something to offer, not the instrument.
0: Right. So when all the cylinders are firing, you're like in your uh, let's let's just say you're in your master's program, and you're just like you feel unstoppable because you're young, because <laughs> young people feel unstoppable. Sure. And and uh, like what what did where did you see yourself? As a musician, what um, hmm. did you did you have like a dream gig that you were kind of in the back of your mind, this is what I want to do?
1: Yeah, I think I, I think just because, like I said before, um, growing up around all the military band people in, in Washington, D.C., that's what I wanted. I wanted to be in a military band. Which one? Uh, any of them. <laughs> I have uh, a lot of friends in the Pershings. I think that would have probably been my dream gig. But uh, orchestra as well, I took a lot of orchestra auditions.
0: So kind of the classical side of things.
1: Yes, more the classical side of things.
0: But you were pretty strong in jazz, because I know that, from what I remember, you had some pretty solid high chops, didn't you?
1: Well, that you know, that's another kind of part of my story. I, I always, always struggled with my range. Really? Until at the very end of my master's program at Baylor University. And actually was working with my husband, Eric, who mm-hmm. um, he himself has pretty extraordinary range on the trombone. And he's also a, a tenor as well. So he has a, that singing background, which he has really helped he's really applied to his instrument. But kind of working with him, I developed kind of this this extreme upper register and recorded it maybe about a year before I stopped playing. We produced a CD called I Love Being Here With You and I had kind of a lot of fun using that upper register, which like I said, had always been obscure to me. I couldn't figure it out. And then, uh, you know, I recorded Wayne Bergeron's O Holy Night with a double D and, and all that. It was so much fun.
0: Oh Holy Night the Stars are brightly shining It is the night of our dear Savior's birth Long lay the world In sin and error pining A thrill of hope The weary world rejoices Well, enough pleasant stuff. <laughs> we have to talk about the unpleasant stuff now. Sure. Take us to this, this, the moment where, uh-oh, all is not well in paradise. I've, I, something is not right with my body. What's going on?
1: Yeah. So it, w- it, it happened, like I said, during the first year of my doctorate, and I was doing a lot of playing. So a lot more playing than I had been doing previously. I was a teaching fellow, so I had probably between 15 and 20 students and I'm the kind of person who likes to play in my lessons, so I was constantly playing with them. I was in um in the wind Symphony in the symphony orchestra, and um, we were preparing for the national trumpet competition. so I was in those groups. I was in Baroque orchestra, so I was in a lot of a lot of different playing uh, situations and uh, towards the end it started it was a progressive thing. I started feeling this kind of shooting pain. Up the side of my nose, on the right side, uh, originating where my mouthpiece sits on my upper lip.
0: Okay. okay.
1: And, uh, you know, it, 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 would, it would come and go, and I didn't really think too much of it because it would disappear. But then it got to the point where I, it started to bruise. And um, there was one playing situation in particular. We were sight reading in Wind Symphony, and I remember feeling that this lightning bolt shoot right up my nose, and then it went under my, my right eye wow and uh after that incident my upper lip swelled i had a big white line form and i somewhere mm. i still have a picture of it because i snapped a picture of myself that's what i knew you know i got to figure this out something's not right and it just it, it got to the point where it's just too painful to play i played on one of my friends senior recitals and that was that was the last time i really played and that was i'd had to just grin and bear it through that that was not a lot of fun mm. but i um so i went in my, my search to try to figure it out, I traveled to New York, worked a little bit with Jan Cagrice for a week, and I went to Chicago, even did some Alexander technique training for a week, just try, trying anything. Got MRIs done, saw a, a number of different neurologists and dentists. And um, to be honest with you, we never really quite pinpointed exactly what it was. Uh, very likely, trigeminal nerve injury. What's kind of good about it is it doesn't affect me Unless I'm actually playing the trumpet, I don't have any any pain in my face. It's only when I'm playing, and to be honest with you, it's really only when I'm playing in the mid to low register of the instrument. The upper register, I could still kind of play. Um, yeah. So it's really those kind of lower vibrations that kind of trigger the uh, the nerve.
0: Really. Mm-hmm. So if you if you were to pick up a horn today, and like let's just say a, like a a low G, not not the super low G, but the G above that. Yes. I guess, what do you call it, a middle G? Yeah, sure, yeah. I don't know, I'm, a, I'm not a trumpet what do I know?
1: <laughs> I, know I, cr- I know exactly which G you're talking about. <laughs>
0: yes, yes. So, do, so, do, so does everybody else listening. So if you were to play like that note, you would feel it? Or would it be painful?
1: Um, if I played it for too long, yes.
0: How long is too long?
1: I don't, it, you know, it really depends. Um, I, can't, I can kind of feel it coming sometimes. Well, like for example, like even if I stand in the shower and have like, you know, the, uh, the shower, like a stream of water hitting my upper lip, if I if I stand there too long, I can start to feel that um, triggered as well. It's not something I can exactly pinpoint, like I said I can kind of feel it coming and I was like, "Ah, you know, better stop otherwise I'm going to get that sharp pain." Wow. Um, but it, it really does standing in the shower. Yeah, it doesn't take too much.
0: Obviously, trumpet is uh <laughs> would would be, be would be uh, not good to if the just a stream of water in the shower. Yeah. Would would trigger it. Yeah, obviously trumpet is uh out of the question unfortunately. Now now I'm just kind of curious like looking back you have to have thought about what could I have done differently? Mm. Just looking back not it's not like you can change anything. It's not like it's not like you made any mistakes, you didn't do the wrong thing. Yeah. But if you could do things differently with a fresh set of chops, what would you do differently?
1: I would probably to be honest with you not be so hard-headed and try to do everything I would have not succumbed to, necess- to some of the pressures that I felt to do too much too soon. And I would have taken the time that I needed to kind of figure maybe some uh, imbalances in my own playing out. It's, you know, it's one of those things that you see, like, well, in the profession that I'm in now, just overuse injuries. Like if I was a triathlete and I was running marathons, you know, you do the same thing over and over again and uh, you don't balance yourself out, eventually you're probably going to run into an overuse injury. I'm not exactly sure, because like I said, we didn't pinpoint exactly what it was, but my best guess is that's what I did. It was an overuse injury, uh, just too much.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, because I heard you saying that you picked it up at ninth grade, and by the time you're in the 10th grade, you're playing at, you're probably outperforming your peers. And it's not like I'm an expert in this, but I would guess that it was just a little bit, maybe a little too, too much right out the gate.
1: Yeah, and I'm, you know, and my personality is the type that I when I like something I I go for it. So, that's one thing that I have to I know about myself now that I just you know have to rein it back a little bit. <laughs> Can't always go 100%.
0: I appreciate that you're sharing this because I know this is probably not your favorite topic in the world <laughs> and we hope that uh that this is going to be helpful for someone who's who's maybe going through something similar uh with what Beth experienced back in the day. But what was it like when you realized I can't play trumpet anymore. This isn't going to be my career.
1: It was really difficult. I would say I probably went through a a stage of some sort of depression, probably for about six months to a year, trying to figure it out. Because when you you put your, I mean, everybody listening to this podcast knows that when you play an instrument and you try to perform at a high level, you put everything you have into it. And that, that was the course of my life. It's what I wanted to do. That was my dreams, my goals, my ambitions. So to consider something different required a change of perspective and that took time to figure out. But what happened for me was I, I started getting interested in, through all this, I, I kind of through my master's, I was starting to be interested in nutrition. Not so much fitness, but nutrition. And while I was injured, I actually went to a retreat in Arizona. And it was uh, the Engine 2 7-Day uh, Rescue Retreat. Okay, yeah. And uh, that's a, a whole food plant-based um, retreat. It was actually um, sponsored by Whole Foods Market. And I went out there because I really appreciated these people and I liked what they stood for. And I, and I met and I had a little conference with somebody who I really admired at the time, Dr. Caldwell Estelson. He wrote the book, uh, Prevent and Reverse Heart Disease. And I told him my story. Mm. And I just sat with him and I said, you know, what's, can I just ask you, you know, as somebody who uh, I really admire, what's your advice for me? And he actually uh, said, well, what do you think about medical school? And I had thought about it, to be honest with you, but I'm older at the, at this point and had already had this whole career as a musician. I thought, well, you know, medical school is a long process and, <laughs> yeah, you know, and right. do I really have what it takes to do something like that? And uh, that comment actually just, it kind of gave me that courage to, to really consider it. And um, I came home from that really inspired and started hmm. Going down that path, I started taking, putting my foot in, just to kind of see how I how I responded to taking those classes. And I started taking pre med classes. I started taking chemistry and organic chemistry and biochemistry and biology and anatomy and physiology and physics, and I, I really started to like it. I enjoyed the learning process. To to kind of continue that story, at this at the same time, I was doing that. I was also getting into fitness, and um, I was training with a personal trainer named uh, Chrissy Banez, who actually trained out of his garage. He was recommended to me by a friend. I was experiencing some some, uh, some back pain, and uh, he really helped me get out of that back pain and become stronger, and I just felt so good working with him. I Actually, I felt so good working with him. I, I drove, it was more than an hour each way, uh, three days a week, just to go work with this guy out of his garage. So through that whole, this whole process, I was learning about fitness and, and at the same time as learning about medicine.
0: Would you say that when you're taking this deep dive into biomechanics and health and fitness and whatnot, nutrition, were you investigating what happened with my lip and, and that kind of led into that? Or is it just kind of separate? It just kind of gave you a release, uh, something to, else to focus on other than, woe is me because I can't play <laughs> trumpet anymore.
1: I think both of those, both of those statements are true. Um, I think there's definitely a part of me actually when when the injury happened, I was talking a lot with Bobby Shue. And he was very much encouraging me to look at medical resources, look at medical documents, see if I could find other people who had experienced the type of injury that I was experiencing. Yeah, uh, he, he actually told me to go buy a Grey's Anatomy. And I remember picking it up at the store and just like looking at it utterly confused. And I don't know if you've ever opened Grey's Anatomy before, but it's pretty intimidating.
0: No, I haven't. I've, I've seen the show. But. Yeah,
1: right. <laughs> but so I, I think there was definitely an aspect of me trying to figure out my injury. But at the same time, I just started to love it for the sake of loving it. It was very relatable to me, to the people that I loved, cared about. Um, to the different passions that I had with nu- nutrition and fitness, and it just kind of all started to come together.
0: That's awesome. You know, I keep thinking about hearing your story. I hear, I, I, I see sometimes on Facebook or Twitter or something, I'll see that picture of the what we imagine success being, and it's just this straight line, <laughs> mm-hmm. like point A to point B. That's that's what success is, and then reality is it's just, you know, it's just scribbled. I don't know if you've seen this or not, but yes, it's just like the scribbled, you go through all these pitfalls up the mountains and then backwards and forwards and it's just, and then and then you finally get to that. So it sounds to me like this is very, very applicable to your career paths thus far.
1: Absolutely. And another little phrase that I like is a uh, fail forward.
0: Fail forward. So, That's yeah. a good
1: one. I, so you, I've heard that before. Yeah. You have to fail in order to, to move forward. So I've definitely had my share of failures. But it's, it's definitely propelled me forward. And I'm grateful for each and every one of them.
0: Well, this fellow that you're talking about that um, you were training with, he's now your business partner. Is that correct?
1: Yeah. Well, yes, in a way. Um, in a way. So, yeah. So I've since becoming a personal trainer, I've had my own business here in Huntsville uh, for about four months. Like I said, I, I was working with Chris, who was working out of his garage. And I modeled my business based upon that, especially during coronavirus when all the gyms were shut down. I opened up my own, my own garage gym, and okay. uh, it, was a, it was a really fun process. Eric helped me. I got a lot of uh, high-end medical-grade equipment, actually, medically certified equipment like the power plate and the kinesis, and um, I have an eccentrics, and, um, and I got AstroTurf in there. We really had fun putting it together. So I split my time. Three days a week, I'm up here in Huntsville training out of my garage, and then the other three to four days a week, I'm down at Chris's gym in Tomball, Texas, called the Fit Type Strength and Performance, and mm-hmm. uh, I have a, a bunch of clients down there as well. So I split my time between the two places. I'm a private contractor down there, and it's uh I love that community of people. I like I wouldn't I wouldn't drive an hour and a half both ways for, <laughs> for right. any other place. So yeah, they're, that's great. They're fantastic.
0: Oh, that's that's wonderful. Now, what's the process of becoming a a personal trainer? Do you have to go through a course or become certified? Yes, yes. By by a board of some kind, or how does that work?
1: Yeah, so there's different certifications you can get. The the one that I got was uh, PTA Global. That's a certification that I went through. Right now, I'm also working on my uh, CSCS, which is a Certified Strength and Conditioning Specialist. So that's kind of like the certificate that people get who want to really work with high-end athletes, maybe at the college level. It's just a kind of like the the next step. It's what all like exercise science majors have to take at the end of their degree program to really be certified. And that is some kind of skipping the exercise science undergrad and just taking the test. So that's that's kind of my next step. I'll be taking that in a couple of weeks.
0: Sounds to me like, you know, you, you had this work ethic that you applied on the trumpet and be it what it may, maybe you just overdid it a little bit. And uh, it, for whatever reason, that didn't work out. But uh I, it sounds to me like you're just taking that same work ethic that same love of learning and knowledge and you know musicians who do it longer than a few years who who get out in the real world out of college they find out really quickly I have to have a real sense of purpose with what I'm doing mm-hmm. otherwise if you don't have that you're gonna be burned out very quickly because if it's just about look what I can do and look at my ego look look how fast I can play that that's just it's not gonna last you very long you absolutely quick you very quickly have to find a meaning and a purpose and a mission maybe beyond just me and what I can do and um it sounds to me like you have found that maybe ultimately you would have found with music if if it would worked out that you were able to do that, but you're just doing it with something other than music
1: yeah I, th- I think that's uh that's very true. I'm extremely grateful that, that God has given me that perspective. It, it, like I said, it was, it was very difficult to kind of, to make the switch, but once you kind of, like I said, look at, look at yourself, kind of value yourself as the person that you are. So the attributes that I wanted to instill in myself and cultivate in myself, I could apply to whatever I, I chose. And the, you know, the, what truly makes something, special, I think, and truly make something worth doing is, is how you're able to affect other people's lives. And this is, right now, this for me is, has been one of the best ways that I could think of to, to affect people's lives. It's been absolutely the most rewarding experience in just four months that I've ever had. So I'm truly grateful for that.
0: What are some of your favorite memories from your playing days?
1: I think the, the community of people. Um, I just, okay. I love the communication that you can have in music. Uh, I loved the the national trumpet competition ensembles that I was involved with. Yes. Um, so I had the opportunity to be, at, especially at, at Baylor University, I was involved with a couple of groups that won first place and one that won third place in the in the uh, ensemble division in particular. And that was just a very thrilling experience, just because you're part of a team. It's not just you up on the stage. The interaction that you play with each other, you're actually it's creative. You're you're improvising on stage with each other musically. I miss that. I miss that kind of communication through music.
0: Well, it's a tight-knit community, trumpet players.
1: Yep, absolutely.
0: You have to be, because uh, not everybody can be a trumpet player, so we got to stick together. That's right. Beth, I want to talk a little bit about, um, obviously, you have a, an above-average knowledge of health and fitness and biomechanics and nutrition and whatnot, and I was wondering, do you have any words of wisdom that, that, that trumpet players can take, or musicians in general, can take away from this podcast and say, you know, maybe I'm not as conscious of this, or maybe I'm not as solid on this part of my health as I should be. Maybe that's keeping sure. me from performing at my best. I was wondering if you just have some words of wisdom for us.
1: Yeah, sure. I'd be happy to. So one of the things that I see, I, I have maybe about five or six of my clients right now are musicians. To be honest with you, what I'm going to say is actually applicable to almost everybody, not just musicians. But, you know, a lot of times we live in this state of constant flexion. So, you know, we're on our phones, we're working at our desk, we're on our computers. Um, as musicians, as a trumpet player, um, you know, I was always holding my instrument in front of me, my shoulders kind of rounded forward.
0: I'm sorry I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt, yeah, but sure. what, does flex, what does flexion mean?
1: Flexion. So like um, Flexion. Flexion.
0: F-L-E-X-I-O-N?
1: Yes, sir. Yep. Okay. So okay. just everything is kind of like anterior focus to so the front of me is engaged less of the back of me. So really that leads to kind of like a posterior chain. So everything on the backside of your body. So your, so from the, starting from the top, like your, your rhomboids, your lats, your erector spinae, your, your glutes, your hamstrings, your calves, your soleus, um, the muscles of the feet, all the backside of the body is traditionally a lot weaker than the front side of the body. And what this does is kind of like, you know, it, at least for me, I remember as a, as a trumpet player, my shoulders are almost constantly rounded forward. And I see this a lot with people. You also see like, if you have any sort of like low back pain or knee pain, usually that's that can be traced back to an imbalance in the backside of the body somewhere. So it's, it's like, for example, it's very common for people to be quad dominant, which means that their hamstrings aren't as strong. So the backside of their leg isn't as strong as the front side of their leg. And for a lot of people, that can be quite extreme. And if you think about it, uh, a lot of times that can lead to knee pain because, you know, the, the body is going to be good at adapting. And if, if, you're not, if you're not using, if you're not engaging your hamstrings, eventually your, your body's not going to put energy where it's, it's not needed, where it's not being used. And those muscles are going to atrophy. So, you know, if, if, if your quads are overworking and your hamstrings are underworking, they're not going to stabilize the knee like they should. And your knee, your joints, the ligaments are going to take more abuse. So, d- as an example, that can also be, you know, applied to the shoulder. Uh, a lot of a lot of people have shoulder pain, but strengthening the muscles of the, of the backside of the body, I w- I w- highly recommend that was that was something that really helped me. Learning how to hip hinge. What's that? So, it learning how to to use your to extend your pelvis backwards. So, rather, a lot of times, if you're if you're doing a lower body exercise and you feel everything in your quads, in the mm-hmm. in your thighs, that's a really big sign that. Your quad dominant and you're not using your posterior chain like you should. So if I'm, if I'm bending down and doing a a deadlift or I'm squatting and picking something up or I'm doing a glute bridge, I should be able to feel, you know, my hamstrings and my glutes working. If I feel at all my quads, which is very common, that was me, then, then you really kind of want to work on, on that back, back chain, that posterior chain.
0: How do you focus on the back more than the front?
1: Well, it's, it's a pro, like, I would recommend getting somebody like a certified strength and conditioning specialist to help you, but it's, it's really, it's kind of a neuromuscular thing at first. You have to be able to feel those muscles. Like, I, didn't, yeah. I didn't know how to connect to, I didn't know what it was like to, <laughs> to use my glutes, to use my hamstrings. Um, mm-hmm. I just had no idea until, you know, I, I went through a certain routine, started doing a lot of glute bridges, just really making that mind muscle connection. Then you can progress, then you can start to strengthen and build. From there,
0: huh. so I guess the first step is to be aware yes. of if you if you like lift a, lift something heavy like a sandbag or for example, and you feel it all in the front, and you don't feel it in the back, then that's a sign that you're maybe front dominant.
1: Yeah, absolutely. If you're okay. if you're doing if you're if you're doing a certain lifting motion and you feel everything in your quads, then yes. In fact, it's yes. funny what you just said. Um, I asked one of my clients who's a saxophone player last night what she thought was one of the best things that she was getting out of personal training as a musician. And she said, just what you said, is that, that muscle awareness is mm. when she's, because she, she's a Barry sax player, and mm. oh, that, that, those instruments can be pretty heavy. Those cases can yes. be pretty heavy. <laughs> yeah, you know, those, sure. They're wearing that, those straps around their necks. is a lot of weight. And uh, she said you know, she, she was experiencing back pain before, and now that she knows how to engage her lats, now she knows how to, to feel those muscles in her back and to use them. She has mm-hmm. much less back pain than she's ever had in her entire life. So I think that that is really important. That's the first step is to have that muscle awareness.
0: Right. I have to, I just have to clarify mm-hmm. for, for people listening and for me, lats are what now?
1: Oh, latissimus dorsi, they're, they're the big um, muscles in your back. So they, Okay. Yeah, they're, they're like, okay. they're the biggest muscles in your back.
0: In like the lower back part?
1: Lower, yeah, lower and they, they kind of connect up and around to the front part of your shoulder.
0: Okay, and then glutes and hamstrings are the same thing.
1: Glutes, glutes are your butt.
0: <laughs> oh, the the gluteus. Okay, got it.
1: Yep there's so there's three parts: is the glute minimus, glute medius, and glute maximus. Those, okay. That's your that's all your butt. <laughs> and uh-huh. then your hamstrings are the, the back you side said of your legs. Butt. I did say butt. <laughs> and then <laughs> and then uh, then you have your hamstrings, which are the back side of your legs.
0: All right, mm-hmm. so hamstrings, glutes slash butt, and <laughs> then lats, latimus dorsum. Latimus dorsimus?
1: Lati, latissimus dorsi.
0: Let, jeez, oh, latissimus dorsi. Dang, Latin. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah, why can't they just speak English? I know. <laughs> <laughs> it's the first language, after all. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's talk about uh, like, can we make it more trumpet-centric? What are some uh, physical issues that um, that trumpet players may be doing or habits that m- they may have that are more that that are that are causing this front. Imbalance. What can they do? What can we do?
1: So a lot of times, like I said, a lot of times, very common for trumpet players to have the rounded shoulders. So that's just because of how we play. We're holding the instrument up there all the time. So working on the posterior delts, which is the area behind your shoulder. So you have the muscle group behind your shoulder. So face pulls, things that kind of strengthen the back part of your shoulders and your your upper back. So
0: what's a face pull?
1: So if you can imagine a cable machine, at the gym. Mm-hmm. So you just mm-hmm. you would just take like a a machine and pull pull the, a rope to your face. It's kind of a little bit difficult to explain, but it really what it does is target the the back of your shoulders so that instead of having like that rounded flexion, you're kind of working on those back muscles to kind of pull everything back to where they should be.
0: So, front balance, front and back balance. If you didn't get all of that, get this. Just stand straight, have good posture <laughs> and do face pulls.
1: Well, you know, and, and working on your strength. Strength really helps a lot of things. So you get strong. A lot of stuff figures itself out. That's what I found.
0: And strength training on, on on all of the body, not just, just your arms or just your front of your legs. Absolutely. Yep. Okay. Got it. So balance. Mm-hmm. Balance is everything in life. Not just playing trumpet, but it's just everything. <laughs> well, for those of you listening in, um, we are... Planning, and we're not exactly sure how this is going to work, but we 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 just had the idea, and we just Beth and I have to work it out. But we definitely want to make you guys aware of these things that have to do with the biomechanics of playing trumpet or playing whatever instrument you may be playing. If you're not a trumpet player listening to this, and we're going to work out uh, maybe a, a series of some sort where Beth comes on and and just shares something. Uh, that has to do with um, musicianship and biomechanics, and so I, I don't know exactly how that's going to work, but she and I are going to talk about it, and of course, we'll uh, as soon as we have it and we publish something, obviously, you'll know it because you'll see it on your iPhone or your Samsung Galaxy because you have subscribed to the podcast as a good podcast listener. You should have subscribed by now, and so you'll, you'll see it pop up on your iPhone. So that is something that is in the works, and Beth and I are going to work that out. So Beth, we are running short on time, and I'm, I'm just going to leave you with one final question, and this is a bit philosophical. Okay. So you can take as much time as you need to think about your answer, and you can also take as much time as you need to answer the question, but here it is. As an achiever, as an overcomer, what is the secret to a happy and successful life? given all that you've experienced thus far
1: From a personal perspective, I have to say that it it comes down to my personal faith to be truly happy and to have a su- successful life. I have to have a bigger perspective than just myself. I think that that this is what's that experience this whole life experience I've had so far has taught me I can I can perform on on any stage that I choose and really it my my stage is just a small, microcosm of this grand stage that god has planned and all i have to do is plow my row and do my do my part and as long as i'm doing that then i'm happy
0: so be good in the eyes of god and everything will work out
1: yeah yeah um it's just it's having perspective yeah
0: perspective be pleasing with that higher power that you acknowledge absolutely well this has been uh, just a fantastic time, and I'm so grateful that, uh, first of all, we met on Facebook 12 years ago, or 11 years ago, whatever it was, and then finally it blossomed into a actual, honest-to-God, voice-to-voice phone call a week ago, <laughs> and now here we are recording this podcast, and um, I really, really appreciate you sharing your story, because I, I, I know that this is probably brings back some unpleasant memories. and uh, but, but my hope, and I'm sure that your hope, is that by sharing this story, uh, perhaps we can, A, help someone avoid a similar injury, uh, but more importantly, B, find that perspective and that balance and realize that th- there's more to life than just playing trumpet. And if... Playing trumpet is what you do. Then there's more to it than just that. There has to be a mission. There has to be a purpose behind what you're doing. What can? What else can I say? Hopefully, we will um, work work things out with our with whatever we have planned, or I guess we'll plan whatever we're going to have planned. And we'll be hearing from uh, uh, Beth Peruka very soon. But for now, Beth, it's been an absolute pl- pleasure and just a real treat to follow you and just seeing all of your posts on social media just fire me up it's it's really inspiring to see you so happy and so engaged and and just so uh, just so full of life and it, it's it's inspiring to me personally so I really appreciate that
1: well, thank you very much James it's, it's been, I'm really enjoy talking with you here it's been an honor and a pleasure thank you so much for having me.